Well, Janaki Fisher Merritt is joining us. If you don't know anything about him, he's got the food farm up in Renshaw and also hosts the Free Range Film Festival, which is super fun, and also supplies the cafe with lots of good veggies and lots of good stuff. So super excited to have you down. Yeah, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for Thanks for doing this. This is fun. And now I found out you, you have already done a podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll have to look that up. What, what was your podcast? Oh, called? I don't even remember. It's probably not even hosted anywhere anymore. I mean, it really was, gosh, I don't know. It was at least 10 years ago. We just recorded a couple episodes of sitting around BSing about movies. And it's probably lost in the, the digital universe somewhere. At least I hope so. I, that's the thing about the digital universe. It, I don't think it gets lost. Yeah, right. That's the scary thing about doing this. Like, <laughs> we're self-incriminating as we go. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. The proof. Uh... The food farm seems to be around as long as I can almost remember. When Because you, your dad started it, is that true? Yeah, my parents moved to Minnesota in 1975. They had met in Oregon and couldn't afford land out there. My mom had grown up in Superior, and so when they were back here visiting family, they looked around and found a farm in Holyoke, actually, a little bit south of where we are now. It was 240 acres surrounded by Namaji State Forest, just a beautiful spot, and it was on the verge of bankruptcy. And for some reason, the the owner took a liking to my parents and called his bank and told them it was going to go to foreclosure unless he sold to my parents and they gave him a loan. And so the bank was sort of forced into giving them a loan, even though it was a little sketchy, because they had no money. I mean, they just had a couple hundred dollars in savings, you know? So he kind of arm-twisted them into selling to my parents because they didn't want to have some foreclosed property in Holyoke in the middle of nowhere. So that's how they got their start. That doesn't happen very often, I don't think. No. <laughs> especially was, probably not now. Right, especially some my parents were pretty— pretty hippified folks in back in you know in the 70s and the idea of convincing some some crusty old timer in Holyoke to like them enough he was going to go to bat for them with his bank was just you know it was a pretty unique situation that's cool yeah so then so they've been farming in this area since 75 yep yep oh, so that's they so they cool. had the first their first uh crop in 1976 um and that was uh tomatoes they sent to the Whole Foods Co-op. My dad got a job there that year, and then I was born the year after in 77. Ah, I was born in 76. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Centennial tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yep. All fun. And then, wow, so that... That is a long time. It was, yeah, it was a long, it was a long road. You know, in Oregon at the time, organic food had become a thing already. And it in was, Oregon. Right. In Oregon, here. but not here. You know, it was kind of. Because the co-op was that, I know it had multiple spots. So at that day, where was the co-op in 77? Yeah, it was on, on East 8th Street, 6th Avenue, 6, what was it? 631. It's the Boreal Bike Shop. Or what? I don't know if that's still there. Okay. Last, last I knew that's. I don't what know there. what's there. It might be a coffee shop. It's six be. and eighth, you said? Yep, yep. Six. Yep, that little green yep. short building. Little green building. I mm-hmm. think, yeah, Brian Johnson, the percussionist, was redoing the facade I know okay. just recently, and yeah. it looks like fish scales now, and I think they're going to maybe try to do something new with it. I don't know what happened with it, but it's okay. not a bike shop, I don't think, at the moment. Yeah, I, I grew up in the back room there, coming to work with my dad a, a fair amount, and 
we still have the old awning for it in the barn, all the awning mechanism, because they, they, it was an old-style storefront where you could crank the awning out over the windows every morning. And, okay. Yeah. So, and then in that day, the co-op, you didn't come and get pizza or things like that <laughs> in pre-packaged. It was like raw, organic, make everything from scratch, bulk food kind of right. thing, right? Yep. And so at, at, right at that time, it was it was mostly just bulk products and spices and things like that. And they really had never carried produce before we showed up. And so our evolution as a farm really kind of evolved with that local foods movement and really getting into healthy, organic options and bringing that to people. So it's it's been a neat evolution. And then we started the we moved to our current farm in 1988, and we started the CSA, the Community Supported Agriculture side of the operation, in '94. So we're, you know, one of the early adopters there, especially in this area. When did you take over? Uh, then Annie and I bought the farm in 2010. But but you were working there the whole time. Yeah. Yep. I I my dad. Well, my parents made a decision not to let us work on the farm until we were 12. Oh, no, yeah. They didn't want it. They didn't want it to be kind of drudgery, miserable. Like you have to do this stuff. Like we had household chores and stuff we had to do just as you know, parts of the family. But they, we weren't really allowed to work until we were twelve. And then once we turned twelve, we could work, but we got paid. Yeah. And so I, I made a living farming longer than my dad has because oh. <laughs> he never paid himself until we started the CSA. So okay. he'd been farming for, you know, nineteen years in Minnesota. And never, you know, the farm kind of paid for its own supplies and seed and everything, but never my parents' actual labor. So the community-supported agriculture operation really, that was really revolutionary for us because we could market a higher volume of produce in the winter. And then we had the summer to really focus on just growing. Yeah. Because to that point when you're, you know, especially we we tried, he and, and a friend started the Carlton County Farmer's Market, but you just stand around for hours getting rid of, you know, 10 pounds of tomatoes or whatever. And it's really impossible to, to actually make a living at it unless you've got a, a real high volume market. And we just, you know, have never really had that here. And so the CSA was was really revolutionary for us. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're at a farmer's market and everything, hot sun and things wilt, and it's kind of like a baker. You make all the stuff and you hope people come where at least a CSA, it's kind of like someone ordering 12 loaves of bread to be picked up at this time. And yeah, which which is what we do at the cafe. We, you know, it's nice to have a spot for the customers to pick up their produce, but yeah. it's nice for us to piggyback that and have have that for the cafe as well. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just so great to be able to to have a, a space like this, you know, especially in the winter, we need a, a warm space to do it where it's, you know, a lot of our pickup sites in other parts of town are people's front porches or, or garages. And, it, you know, you just have to have that, that warm space. So we do the summer shares that's uh, runs mid June through mid October. And then the winter shares we started in 2000 that runs November through April. So it's a perfect setup here for us with the cafe, just because I'm, I don't remember how many boxes go here, but it's Boy, it's got to be fifty or something close in, to in it. the yeah. in the winter. Yeah, it takes up the whole stage. Yeah, and I was trying to think when we started working with you guys. Gosh, I should have looked this up. I know, I but it's been over a decade. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, but even maybe you don't know this, but before we started getting produce for the cafe and be, became a drop off site, friends of mine split a share 
and it was delivered on Juanita Street. Yeah. You know, so that I, I totally understand. And in the winter, yeah. it was like in a garage where you'd have to knock on the door yep. up somewhere, <laughs> and it's cold, and it's like so nice that there's customers out there that will offer their house as a drop-off site. Yeah. Today would be a terrible day to pick up veggies. Yeah, right. <laughs> Five below, your carrots would be icicles <laughs> doesn't in the t- Doesn't take long, does it? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't take long. Yeah. But also in the summer, it's hard, too, to find a spot that has shade. or because yep. it's mean, cool enough. But... Leafy greens in the hot sun, let's say you drop them right. off at 4 and you don't get off work until 7. It's Yep. And uh, I would say that's what really got me into understanding cooking in the seasons is mm. Before we even did it at the cafe, I would get the the shares at yeah. my house, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, "What do I do with this?" You know, it's like here's kohlrabi, here's mustard greens, here's things you've seen, but you don't use them all the time, or so you have to be inventive and learn how to use them yeah. in different ways, and and that's what learning to use that and not waste it at the house is what gave me the confidence to do it here at the cafe. But then I had the same problem. Now I've learned to like these things at home. Now I have to try to learn to get people to eat their veggies. Like, yeah. how do we sneak these beets into something? How, how do we sneak right. a rutabaga <laughs> into something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny because we, we live right on the farm. We could eat whatever, you know, we could go choose whatever we want to to eat. But we pack a box for ourselves also, just like all the others, because we're super busy and we don't eat very well when we get busy and mm-hmm. there aren't vegetables in the house. Mm-hmm. I don't want, like, I don't know, I get in late. Mm-hmm. I don't want to walk around and figure out what I'm going to choose to eat. It's like the box comes once a week and we eat it. Yeah. And it's just, it makes the the default is you're going to eat vegetables. Yeah. Because it's there. Yeah. Rather than the default being like, oh, there's, you know, that box of cereal in the uh, above the fridge, which is kind of, that's that's my default, you know? It's like, oh, there's not stuff in the house. I just I just don't eat very well. No. And, I, and most people would be surprised by that. But, like, really it is, it's all about kind of setting up your life so that the decision you want to make is the easy one. The hopes and dreams. Yes. Yeah. 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 But, exactly. I, I mean, that's the same as after I'm here all day or if I work seven shifts in a row plus I'm doing sound and I get home at 11 o'clock at night, it's really hard to take a root vegetable and try to do something quick with it. So, it, I, it, you know, even if you have them, yep. it's really hard to keep them moving. And, yep. Yep. So, yep. The, those first couple of years are usually the learning curve for people. Once they get over the hump, they get used to in a bit of a routine for how you what you do. And you can kind of do it on autopilot rather than really having to think about it as much. But one, it does keeps you on your toes for sure. Yeah, one of our favorite things we always do is roasted roots. That's yep. our favorite. So we'll take yep. all, any root and just toss in whatever fun fennel or whatever and roast it in a cast iron pan, hopefully some squash in there too, and, and make a big batch. And then you have it that first night with the squash and, and it's so good. And But then you put, it, you put it away and now it's ready to go and you can heat it fast yes. and, and, it, and you can do other things with it. And, and yep. so I think that's the trick too to eating in the seasons is – looking at your schedule and when you do have time to spend two hours cooking and roasting veggies, yep. do a big batch maybe or yeah. have it for a couple of days or, and then you can make a soup out of it or do something else. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And the kids like it too. I mean, they like taking stuff out of the box, like sometimes worry about it a little bit, but they like cutting stuff up. 
I mean, they they do, and once they get good with a knife, it, it actually like it makes life a little easier once they're used to helping. And it gives them a feeling of being connected with their food rather than just being like eat it or else, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I love that too. I mean, I grew up in the country. We had eighty acres, and we had huge garden. I mean, we had. Everything, peas, beans, corn, squat. We had all the things and, and chickens and eggs and all that. And that, w- that was our fun thing. It's like we'd get home and mom and dad would be like, go pick what you want to eat. And, you know, yeah. we'd go out and I want beans. And we'd go get our beans yeah. or whatever. And I think that's fun too. But yeah. You know. Yeah. Our our friend Joel Rosen makes an amazing, like a rutabaga pudding mm. almost. A but sweet thing. Sweet. It's really sweet. It's got maple syrup and a lot of butter. <laughs> and it is it's really amazing but it's definitely a desserty that's a, a dessert thing, thing. yeah well that sounds good I yeah mean, i used to make a dessert that was like potatoes and coconut mm. dipped in chocolate like I, you could probably do something like that too and yeah and also we always do like a curry veggie soup mm-hmm. and i just say curry root vegetable and it's gonna have rutabagas in it yeah, you right. know, but you're doing ginger and all these spices and you won't even know it's you know if you cut them pretty small and it's all blended with potatoes and carrots and everything else right you won't even notice that it's yeah. in there so it's really neat to have that much to add that kind of variety in because you know i mean it keeps you from kind of getting in a rut food wise but it also you know you're getting all different minerals and vitamins and everything that you wouldn't get if you're just having the same thing all the time for kids i just think it's great to expand their palate when they're young and it it can help them be more adventurous eaters later on. And, it's really noticeable, yeah. like certain kids, like there's certain kids that come in that you can tell, like don't have an option to be picky. Yeah, it's like you go. <laughs> that's what you get, and it's really noticeable the difference of, you know, who gets to have an option, who doesn't. <laughs> right, right. Because they all they all end up. I and maybe I'm wrong about this, but most kids I feel like end up getting picky at some point, no matter what. Probably, but it's like where where's their baseline from? Like our <laughs> our eight year old, he's like, oh my god, the kid just wants to eat pasta and bread and like infinite carbs, you know, chicken nuggets. Yeah, but he's starting from <laughs> a base. Fries. Yeah, where he's starting from a baseline where it's like he's got to fall a long way to have a really lousy diet, and <laughs> and that that's okay, you know, that's okay. He he'll still grab a, a whole pepper or a whole carrot and just that's his that's a snack and that's feels normal to him. And and carrots in general are so interesting because we also get some shares from Hermit Creek Farm. Sure, yeah. And they're uh they're quite a ways away from you guys and it's amazing the difference of soil, mm-hmm. what makes a carrot, what mm-hmm. makes anything and Yeah. So you guys have yeah. unique a unique taste in carrot because of your soil and it's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. On the yeah. sweet side. Yeah, no, it's it's one of the things that that they kind of just sell themselves because it's the difference with commercial carrots that you can get it's just it's just night and day and it's that way with a lot of stuff but people eat so many more carrots that it's you know and i mean i i think it actually is it's the same thing with potatoes like the potato quality is so much better that we grow but most people it doesn't register because you're not eating them raw they're in with other stuff and it's easy to lose that but my big thing with potatoes lately is i take all the the small russets that we don't really have a sale for and they'll be, you know, inch in diameter or something. We have, we have, never used to pick them up, but we just got a, an actual harvester a couple of years ago that picks every all the potatoes up. And instead of putting them back on the ground, we have to go back and pick them up like we used to. They're actually on a conveyor 
and then they come around and we pick the bad ones and rocks and stuff off and then mm-hmm. the rest go in the bin. So we actually have them. We collect them all. Then I have a sizer that sizes out the little ones. I make those into hash browns. Hmm. And there's so much skin in there and it's yes. the russet skin and it's got so much flavor. And if you fry them in enough oil, it's just amazing. I just absolutely love the way it tastes. And, and of course, you know, when you're having a potatoes kind of get a bad rap because they're, there's so much starch in there. Processed potato stuff can kind of cause insulin spikes and stuff like that because of the the level of carbohydrates and starch in there. Sure. But when you have all that skin in there, you're getting all the nutrition and all those minerals and all that's kind of buffering the the all that insulin stuff and slowing down your digestion. And it's just a I anyway. I love I love the flavor there. I love growing potatoes. And, and so do you. When you make your hash browns, yeah. do, do you soak them? No, that's you don't, the, that's you the don't thing. I, no, I'm really lazy when it comes okay. to cooking. Because so, I, I I worked on we used to do a with your potatoes. We used to do a quiche yeah. with a with a hash brown crust. Yeah, and we would grate them. Okay, and then we'd soak them. Uh huh. And then we'd mash them and strain them through a sieve. Yep. And then we'd do a buttered pan and bake them. Yeah. And that's how we'd make our. It's, it was so good. It's really good, but it's, it's also a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But if 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 you have the time, then yeah. you get that crispy, crispy. Yeah. Maybe you lose some too, though. I guess I. Well, so here, I, don't, I don't know what you're losing. Here, probably. here's here's my here's my hash brown process. So I'll take I'll usually I don't know probably three pounds of of those little potatoes, and then one pretty good sized beet, like a, a little bigger than a baseball, like a hash. Yep. Yeah. And then I run it all through the food processor to shred them, and then. I get, you know, a skillet. I'll have what is it? A twelve inch skillet. Cast iron. Cast iron. Put that a good amount of, put a good amount of oil in there. I mean you don't want just a thin coating because they'll stick. And that mm-hmm. and and you don't want them to scorch. And they'll scorch if you don't have enough oil in there. Get it reasonably hot and then you just take it out of the food processor. And so when I, I usually have or quarter the, the beet, so it's fairly mixed in there. And that just sweetens it up a little bit and it's a good way to get kids to eat beets or people who don't like them. Kind of I mean, trick, you don't trick, know trick it's the beets beet. really, but it sweetens the whole mix up and it <laughs> yeah. doesn't really have, it just lends something extra to the to the whole mix. So I just put them in and I put it probably three quarters of an inch thick. You don't want to overload it or else it gets too gummy. Yep. You want a nice ratio of the, the cooked inside stuff to the crispy on the outside. Yep. And then I cover it with a lid. Cook it until the top part seems cooked. Flip it once. Flip it once. And then, so in order to flip it, then I usually quarter it, flip it, and then I pour oil again in between, in between like the quarters. And oh God, it turns out so good. It turns out so good. And it's no, no futzing around with draining and rinsing and all that stuff. When I take it out of the food processor, I usually will just kind of squeeze it a little bit. Yeah, that helps. That way you don't have all that extra moisture, extra moisture in there. But that's that's simple. It takes no work at all. So. <laughs> anyway, that's that's my that's my go to hash brown. Then thing. a soft that's egg really... on top. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yo. Uh, well, actually it... people can come out to the farm at least once a year, right? For the film fest you guys do. Is that yep. still gonna be happening? Yeah, so yep. So it'll be this'll be our I think this is the nineteenth. We started it in 2004, and so it's actually just down the road from the farm. This was a, a place that Annie and I bought, I guess it was December 2002. Oh, we it's a old just, house. Yeah. Okay, yep. right, so we bought sure. it just, down, just down the road from the farm, we needed a place because I was sort of living above a, our machine shop. 
And uh, Annie's like, yeah, I don't know about this. And so so we bought this place just on the road and it had this beautiful old barn and we cleaned it out and rigged up a projector and sound system and, and had a friends who were filmmakers and interested in movies and stuff. And we're like, oh, let's do a film festival. So we, they just put a website up and we'll, we'll see what happens. And we got over 200 submissions that first year. And a couple hundred people showed up and was like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. And we've just kept doing it and made little upgrades here and there. And, you know, that first year, we still got probably half our submissions on VHS. Yeah. You know, that's how that's, yeah, that's how fast things have changed. And now everything is, you know, everything's a download. And yeah, but it's really it's really neat. It's a neat way to have people come and see the farm, see the the barn and really admire that structure. It's kind of, you know, they're kind of obsolete. Those old style dairy barns are not, they don't really have an agricultural purpose very much anymore. And so having a reason to maintain it and keep it from falling down and keep the roof from leaking is, is really, you know, it's important to me and people really enjoy being there. And it's just great to have a place for that creative outlet that you just aren't going to get uh, what are the dates this year? What is it always the last? Yeah, it's the last weekend in June. June, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me and Dan Dresser did the cooking on the yeah, car thing. Yeah, so I right. got to go for that. Your old, time. gosh, what year? Was it a 93 Camry or something yeah. that had the perfect, had the exhaust manifold in the perfect place? <laughs> yeah. But that's unfortunately the only year I've been to the film fest, but I, it's because I'm always doing the cafe and playing in bands, and, sure. and I, I look at my calendar and go, I didn't yeah, block it out again. Summer's and I always full, yeah. mess it up. But if you have a chance, uh, mark your calendar now, and I, I should actually do that right now. Last weekend in June, yep. Free Range Film Fest yep. is such a good time. It's funny you, you mentioned living above the machine shop, because I was just in Texas, and we stayed with this lady... And uh, she has a farm and has cattle, and uh, she needed a little extra money to make it work. So she did a, she calls it a Barnuminium. Oh, yeah. And she started shuttling hikers. We hiked the Lone Star Trail. And so we found her because of the, or Tina found her because of the hiking shuttle, but then found out she has this Barnuminium, which it's in her barn. She just like added like a little house connected, like inside the, the, sure, the, yeah. the machine shop pretty much. Yeah. Just put a little house. It's like a tiny house on the edge of the machine shop. So uh-huh. you can still park your tractor and then everything else in there. But here's a little, you know, and you can stay there and then get a ride to the trail. It's kind of, yeah. You know, so yeah. maybe if you would have made a Barnuminium. Yeah, you, you, I should have done that. Maybe Annie would have been... Okay with that. But you still you you still could you could you could uh, you could uh, raise funds for the film fest with right. a Barnuminium. There you go. <laughs> In your spare time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah. Probably a bad idea. You'll be washing sheets and. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. That's the thing. People ask me about doing like a Airbnb, or we've got a neighbor down the road that does a hip camp thing, which is kind of a rustic cabins that people can kind of stay in. I just. Or the RV I, thing that people are doing right. now, park yeah. your RV on a farm. Yeah. I forget what that's called, but yeah. that's becoming a bigger thing. Yeah, I, I have a hard enough changing the sheets on my own bed, let alone doing it for other people. I'm like, ah, no. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about how bad I am at changing sheets. We will buy like the really best sheets they actually ever make, yeah. but then it's like, how long is this bed? <laughs> Our dogs are sleeping with us in bed. Now we have two dogs sleeping with us in bed, and it's like we we should we should uh, set a 
a calendar uh, a reminder to, to a Google <laughs> alert. <laughs> but it goes with getting home and it's like, okay, yes. cook some root vegetables or do laundry. We yeah. Cook some food instead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so we do we do a, a farm tour also, and that's usually one of the last weekends in August. It's I don't know the exact date, but that's I think it is the last weekend in August we usually do that. I think this past year was like the 27th or something on right. Saturday. Yeah. Chance for people to come out and see the farm. We do a hayride for the kids where they get to jump on the hay wagon and ride around the farm. And and this past year, we've got a pizza oven, so we kind of were cooking pizzas for people. and Oh, like a wood-fired one? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yep, yep. So that, that was something we actually we had built years ago and then just really never used until the pandemic. And then... You know, with all the getting together outside being such a big deal, uh, Annie was like, I got to fire this thing up and really learn to use it. So that was kind of a fun outgrowth of of those years of. So you um, make the dough and. Yeah, Annie does it. Make she's, pesto. She's a pro. And yep. yep. If, if anyone's ever in Hayward and maybe you've heard of this place, have you ever heard of the uh, Farmstead Creamery Cafe? No. There is this sweet family. And uh, they have this great place, like several hundred acres, and they it's an aquaponics where you have the tilapia and the gardens and all that, and they, they raise all these animals, and they raise sheep, and they, they milk sheep, and they make their own chev cheese, and they have a wood-fired pizza oven, and then they have concerts, and wood, mm. my band Woodblind has played there several times, and they just add a little extra charge to the pizza, and they get this nice crowd that comes out and... They're growing all their food, and the tomatoes are the sauce. They grew the tomatoes, the pesto, the basil, the the you know it's it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, you know, but it's so fun too to have something delicious out on the farm, and it's somewhat easy. Yeah. You can do one thing and yeah, and enjoy the the actually see the stars if it gets dark. Yeah, right. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, aside from the the tour, is we do we have a lot of volunteers. I mean, we've got probably five or six people who fairly regularly come to the farm usually on share packing days and that's kind of that's kind of fun it's it's kind of turned into a a neat social thing because you know the crew gets it's a lot of work and so having a couple days or a couple mornings usually because we usually pack from like nine o'clock to about one or two and and for the crew to have a kind of infusion of people who are enthusiastic and showing up for that morning and and it's it's uh that's been a nice little kind of injection of, of energy and conversation into the to the regular week is you know, Monday and Monday and Thursday mornings we got three or four new people kind of showing up and helping pull the load and and it's a neat way for people to to get to participate in the farm to actually get to do the work and it's fairly straightforward and and I like everything. when you guys uh, do a little like social media video. Uh... One of my favorites is the the carrot cultivator thing. Oh yeah, where it's like it's just like this assembly line where it's popping the carrots out and sorting them and throwing them in in containers and it's this whole assembly line and it's kind of phenomenal. Yeah, how many carrots. Yes, yeah. Our our friend Mike does that a lot of those short videos for us and it is it's it's neat. It's nice for people to be able to see kind of the the process and how it all happens because yeah, I mean we we've got. This fall, I was just looking at our storage records, and I usually take a consistent inventory like the first Monday in November every year, and then I can kind of compare year to year what we've got kind of sitting in storage. And I mean, it's over two hundred thousand pounds in storage at that point in the season, so like it's it's just a lot of food that we're 
able to produce on, you know, it's 17 acres that we're cultivating any given year. And to have just the fall storage part be over 200,000 pounds is pretty, pretty remarkable. It's a lot of, a lot of food for people who live up here. And that's, that feels oh, really good. It's so, I mean, cause Terry that delivers, right? Yeah. Yeah. When ter- Terry delivers, I, I, if I, if I'm not too busy, I try to go help, help her load in and she is so strong because those boxes in the winter they they're solid packed yes. food. They yeah. it's like it is a heavy box. Yeah, she carries two at a time usually at least. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. No, she she's she's tough. She's my sister in law. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, and that's cool. So she I she's so great. Her first year I think on the farm was 2003, and she and my brother met. He was still working on the farm at that point and managed to keep her in in the loop on the farm you know even through having kids and everything and now she's she's just the absolutely the, the backbone i mean she works year round she's and now her son is helping yeah he's yep. carrying boxes yep. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not 12 yet what's going on oh. yeah right yeah no he's 16 oh, I, oh yeah, really he's 16 now oh yeah. i guess i'm losing track yeah maybe when i met him but yeah <laughs> he's 16 yeah. yeah it's sign up time for to to do you have spots open? Can we, people get into summer shares, or do you have to start with winter? How's it How's it working? This yeah, year? so we um, we usually give a couple of weeks for our renewing members to sign up, but that's usually right around the end of January we start opening it up to the mailing list. So basically, by the time you're hearing this, you could sign up. I'm sure we'll have some spots available. And that's, what's the, what's the website people can check out? So foodfarm.us. Okay. Nice and simple. US. If, and then social and then they media, just, yep. if they want to check out some yeah. of the videos on Instagram, or is it just the same? Yeah, it's, it's at Food Farm CSA on, on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So it's, we're, we're out there. Annie and, and Mike keep, keep the content coming. Yeah. And the, that Rutabaga giveaway, we're doing it at Wild State Cider again at their outdoor curling rink. That was great for having stuff the kids could do. We'll have to uh, yeah. see when this pops out, but uh, yeah, Wild State this year. Yeah, yep. yeah. So got or that. last year too, right? We did it last year there too. Yeah, it's yep. just a good space, lots of room, and right. It was it was nice to have a space. The kids just love sliding around on the ice, and so that that was pretty nice. And and uh, they're so like an ice skating rink. Or? It's curling. Oh, it is. Yeah. So I I my dad uh, made this wooden handle uh, that I screwed into the top of a rutabaga. <laughs> <laughs> Curl with the root of it. Exactly. Yeah. We find all sorts of uses for them. That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. The whole we used to just come to town and have kind of a, you know, a member get together every winter just to say hi to people in town during the time of the year where people are kind of disconnected from what we're up to and we have a little more time and breathing space to kind of come and just socialize and say hi to people. And then it seemed like every year we had more rutabagas than we knew what to do with. So we're like, well, let's just give them away. And so we just, uh, it's probably six or seven years now where we're like, yeah, all right, we'll just bring the rutabagas and give away rutabagas and say hi to people and just That's be, so cool. ha- you know, try and build community around good food and farming. And that doesn't, it doesn't always happen on the farm. And that's, that's just fine. We're trying to build what we're doing in, in local agriculture and get people excited and interested in it, that it's not you know, really the the main thing for us is that so many of our problems seem so big and so far away and that we can't do anything about them. And what we're doing with local farming, I mean, it's here. I mean, we're, we are doing it. And the things that our members and you at the cafe and everybody involved have been doing over the course of the last 20 to 40 years, 
Like we actually produce a lot of food for real people. Mm-hmm. It's just regular stuff, it's, you know. And during the during the pandemic, when people suddenly realized, oh, this like all these supply chains actually are really tenuous. Like we're actually not on very stable footing when it comes to our food supply and the supply of all kinds of things. It I, it kind of really I think help the broader public be aware that it is important to do things for ourselves. And mm. and whether that's through food, through local agriculture, whether it's through entertainment and culture, really being able to build community, create those connections and sustain our local economy, it it benefits us all the way around when we can when we can do those things rather than just relying on the national and international market system that ships food from everywhere yeah. to everywhere that really doesn't come from anywhere and it doesn't necessarily feed you know you don't know who it's feeding we have a pretty direct connection with the people who who buy our produce and support us just like you do at the cafe when you're supporting artists and musicians and and I think that that connection is really special and it makes everything you do feel more worthwhile I really noticed during the pandemic having the stability of knowing this is coming and buying whole pigs from Wiker Acres and things kept coming here that in a kind of a normal way where a lot of other things you wanted to get weren't normal. And that was really kind of a a big, interesting eye-opener for me even to see it in real life. And the other really interesting thing that helped us cook in the seasons at the cafe even more, sort of a, a silver lining in the pandemic is you know, we we signed up for all the food and then pandemic and no one was coming yeah. and we're just doing a drive through. So I took our normal menu just off and I would just put up three to five specials a day and say, this is what we have. And and it it spurred our Minnesota bowl, which is, yeah. you know, all the local whatever's in season is in this bowl. It's yeah, great. And now it's one of our most popular items. And now mm-hmm. I, you know, at, when we first started trying to use local food, it wasn't working. It was like a lot of it went into soup, you know, because uh-huh. it was like this is spoiling or this didn't go or yeah. or, you know, it's like I would try to figure out things to do with it. Now it's like I need more. I'm out. So it's 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 really turned and it's it's starting to work here as well. Yeah. And uh, we've got a following now for some of this good food, which is really cool. It's yeah. really great. Yeah. Yeah. Always room to keep expanding and make things better and incorporate even more of that but it's a really good start and at least a good start of a model for us yeah absolutely and and you can really tell when when things click for for people and it it is it's hard and i i always whenever i'm at conferences and you know talking to other farmers who are interested in in supplying restaurants and food service and stuff it's just it's so important that they realize that what busy intense places that those kitchens are like you guys don't have much room for error it's super easy to just order off the cisco whatever they've got and like as farmers we need to do as good of a job as we can at being reliable and consistent and making it easy on people who are are in those situations because you know it's high pressure the margins aren't very big and Mm -hmm. i think it's really easy for for young farmers to get kind of caught up in the Farmers are are cool, kind of a thing, and and not like have the big picture that like what the people processing that food and selling it 
are really up against because it's a big deal and customer demand shifts and you have to shift with it and figuring all that out is a, it's a big deal. So the, the, the places like Wusos that have figured out how to do that, like it's a, it's a special talent and it takes that commitment and attention to detail to actually make it work. And it's, it's really, really neat when it comes together. It's really fun when it comes together and it, it did take a while and I, I didn't know it'd be that hard, <laughs> you know, but it, it makes sense. Cause if, if anyone's had a CSA, it probably took, I bet there everyone wasted food at the start. Yeah. Cause it's just like, it's so much to yep. figure out and, yep. and learn how to, to use it in the right way. And what, what, go, you know, delicata squash is going to go bad before an acorn, you know, there's yep. dif- different, you know, you can kind of learn what has to go first and how to sneak it in here and there. And right. Yeah. Which exactly. seeds can you toast? You know, yeah, our sandwich right. today has, Toasted squash seeds yeah. on, but some aren't good. They yeah, those, break your teeth. Yeah, right, right. Those <laughs> those those kabocha ones are. They're pretty. A lot of fiber in there. Yeah, I <laughs> I didn't realize at one time, and I just toasted them and thought they were okay, but uh, all of a sudden it's like these are terrible. I'm like these are terrible. What was I thinking? You know, it's like okay, scratch. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yep. Well, you know the other the thing I tell people with. It, it is a learning curve and you, people do end up, I mean, you always end up not using something yeah. oftentimes. But when you think about the amount of food waste that's in the food system that's all hidden. Oh, it's sad. Right. I mean, so like, sure, every once in a while, like we'll get our, our spring turnips and we end up not eating the greens and they, you know, they get all wilty. We feed them to the chickens or you can compost or sometimes they end up in the trash. But It, it is hard but, to get through all the greens. But if you've ever been out back behind grocery store, oh my they're throwing away so much food because it sits on the shelf, it sits and sits, and then it doesn't look good and no one's going to buy it even if it's actually okay. And it's going to get thrown and it just happens in huge quantities. Yep. And with the CSA, it's going direct from the field to that box in your fridge, yeah. really no waste in between. So, like, you could waste, you know, 20% of it, and you're still going to be ahead when gross. it comes to food waste. Right. I mean, yeah. it, and that would be throwing away an incredible amount of food, and it's still, you're still better off because every step of the way from the field to the packing house to the aggregation center to the warehouse to the truck that ships it across the country to the retail distribution center to the supermarket mm-hmm. coming off the shelf there, yep. there's waste at every point in that yep. in that food chain. And so it is more visible or, for people. Or contamination, yes. salmonella, just yep. in processing because it's like, oh, everything in this plant was processed on the same day, so everything gets recalled. Right. Even though... It was one item, but they processed five items sure. and things yep. like that can go wrong. Or... Exactly. So having that direct connection there, it's hard for people when it's a kind of a one-to-one and they see the waste rather than all the stuff that's hidden in the regular food system. But it it really is a it's a more efficient system when it comes to food waste. And, and gas and transportation yeah. and refrigeration and mm-hmm. all, all the things that really add up yeah. yeah yeah and then soil good soil you're not over fertilizing because it's organic and it's not blowing away and you're doing cover crops and you're rotating and doing other things that the old way yeah. of doing it yeah, yeah. right yeah. yeah exactly yep yep yeah. we've got old old techniques and all kinds of new new tricks that we use and that part of organic farming has been really neat to see you know over the last 
40 years. It was, it used to be organic farming was really scoffed at and you can't get the yields and the quality is going to be really poor. And that was kind of the reputation when, when my folks first moved here and when I was growing up. And now the, the conventional farmers are copying a lot of what organic farmers do, whether it's cover cropping, whether it's nutrient management, they're trying, you know, they're, they're seeing their yields go down. They're seeing how much instability there is in the system when you're feeding a plant chemicals rather than feeding a biological system that supports that plant. They're, they're understanding how organic farming builds in resilience, and they're trying to figure out how to copy some of that stuff. And there's, there's a lot of movement right now in the conventional world trying to incorporate cover crops and stuff like that. And so that, that part of it has been pretty interesting lately, just the, the broader agricultural system is starting to realize that we've built a hyper-efficient but super-fragile system. My grandpa was a farmer, and, and actually my dad grew up farming with horses, and 25% of their land would be, it's going to be just rye or yeah. you know, something that's going to put nutrients back. And it, it's, I suppose it's hard when you're trying to you know, pay the bills and mm-hmm. use every bit of the land, but it, you know, it's, yeah. it's short-sighted in the, in the yeah. long game, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've we've moved to a system in the last fifteen years or so where we're we're taking every piece of ground out of production every other year. So it's in vegetables one year, it's out the next, and we've developed every the other land year. base. Yep, developed the land base where we can do that, and it really makes a difference with our ability to get a real solid soil building cover crop in between every cash crop and break those pest and disease cycles and really maintain a healthy a healthy landscape with just being being committed to that system and, and it adds flavor and minerals exactly. and all the all the all the yep. flavor is from restoring that natural yep yum yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> well this has been so fun um i don't know any other fun news you want to let folks know about oh boy um is your dad still doing poetry oh my goodness oh he he's sort of taken a break from poetry. Thank thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> I guess we should sneak him down here. Yeah, right. Exactly. You should. He would love it. He would love it. We my, do a spoken my, word thing my, every month. Yeah, he could right. Be, the, be my, the guest. My my teenage self is still it's still uh, lurking prominently in my in my gut, and so I'm I can't handle listening to it. Oh. <laughs> we won't send him a link. No, no, it's, no, it's fine. It's fine. He understands. Um, uh, but he's he's gotten really into woodworking lately. Oh, cool. And he had been, he did a lot of woodworking in Oregon in the 70s. And then once we moved to Minnesota, he moved a lot of wood here, a lot of black walnut, but also some maple, some myrtle wood, some other things that... Trees he'd cut down and actually sawed into into planks, mm. and these are, I mean, pretty big trees. A lot of them. I mean, there'll be walnut slabs that are, you know, two inches thick and and wow. twenty four inches wide, and really big chunks of wood. And Hard they, to find ever again, really, right? At this yep. Point. So they moved from Oregon to Holyoke from with Holyoke, the wood. Yes, from Holyoke to <laughs> Renshaw, sat in the back of the barn for you know thirty years. And then a, a few years ago, he started kind of, you know, after I bought the farm, he started tinkering around with that stuff again. He got his old sawmill out, which is a, it's a giant old steel chainsaw with a, a four foot bar on it. Oh. And he had had carpal tunnel surgery. And like, it was, I swear it was like 
eight weeks to the day, you know, after he'd had the surgery and they could said he could start doing stuff again. He had that giant chainsaw out and cutting up more trees, had a couple old maples that had burls in them that he was cutting into slabs. And so he's, he's been playing around with that stuff lately, he's making a tabletop right now for a friend of ours. And he keeps very busy. Yeah, he's I don't very, very busy, even <laughs> though he's he's not doing nearly as much farm stuff anymore. Well, that's your turn. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Exactly. You know, and it's we had such a and still do have such a great working relationship. He allowed me growing up to to have the, the farm develop along my vision also, not just his. And so it really developed as an as an organism with he and I and our friend Dave Hanlon, who's worked with us since I was 15 years old you know we we oh dave the basil dave yeah exactly yep (laughs) yep so his first year on the farm was 93 the year before we started the csa and the farm has just evolved with all of us in different different phases of life and new people coming in like terry to the operation being just integral parts and it's really been a rewarding thing and we've all we all understand that we're all committed to the work and to what we do. And so, you know, like with my dad and I, the key to our relationship, I think, is just being able to argue about stuff. Like we don't keep it hidden and we just argue about it. And then we, you know, oftentimes when I was a kid, you'd be like, all right, do it. And then all of a sudden I get out of college and I'm managing like a third of the farm already because I was young and opinionated and thought I could do it better. And and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute, that's I got suckered into doing all this uh, you work. Got Tom Sawyer. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. That's exactly it. So anyway, it's 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 been. I can't imagine a better a better way to to start farming. It's never easy, but it's always always rewarding. If you've never tried a CSA, it's definitely worth trying out. And uh, go sign up if you can sneak in on yeah. a summer share. It's definitely worth it. If you can't get in, start with the winter share and, yep. and uh, eat your tubers. And <laughs> yeah, winter, winter shares are often they're more accessible for people. You've got a little more time because that stuff stores, and you've got you've got more time to figure out what to do with it. And split it with a friend. That's how I got started. I mean, because then yep. you only have to deal with half of it, and and then and then it doesn't feel as stressful. So exactly. Well, very cool. Cool. Well, thanks for having me down, Jason. It's really, really fun. Oh, good to, good to see you and catch up a little bit. Absolutely. And I'm excited for uh, everyone to know more about what you guys are doing out there. And uh, you've been doing it for so long and much longer than I even realized. Since, I mean, your dad started when I was born. Yeah, so right. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a long road, but a, but a really positive one. 